Welcome to the Metrology Today podcast. My name is Ryan Egbert, and this is Season 2, Episode 2. Thank you for all of you that tuned in last week. I really appreciate all of you either tuning in live or if you checked it out afterwards. Again, I'm sorry about the technical difficulties and sound level issues. Look, in the future, we're just going to do all of our live shows on our Twitch channel where we have everything figured out, and you could even watch this if you want. Today on the show, we have Ginger Montez. Now, Ginger comes out of the Naval Service Warfare Center in Corona, California. She works in the measurement sciences for the Navy. Ginger entered the world of metrology via the Marine Corps in the year 2000, and since then has worked with the government at various laboratories as an active duty Marine, as a contractor, and as a government employee. Her current role at Corona is under NAV-C for in-service support, calibration standards, modernizations, as well as the Interlab Comparison Program. She's an advocate for continual process improvement, and today we are going to talk all about that as well as Lean, otherwise known as Six Sigma, or if you're listening and you're in the military, might be called Airspeed, something like that. So without further ado, on to the show with Ginger. Thanks for listening. Well, Ginger, welcome to the podcast. Season two, our first guest. Thank you for having me. It was exciting. Who knew that there was going to be a second season? That's what I say. No, no. We got a lot to learn and listen to for sure. Well, you know, it's one of those things. Is metrology interesting enough to have in a podcast forum? You know, you didn't really know how it was going to go, but I'm glad it's I'm glad it's back. I feel like there's a lot of people in our niche that are interested in listening and learning more and having engaging conversations, you know? Yeah, exactly. So Ginger, I, as I always do, I know you've listened to our podcast. First mm-hmm. step is always to learn about our guest. So I've, I've actually known you going way back. I knew you yeah. when you were working in Miramar. Why don't you give us a brief overview of your career, how you got into this crazy this crazy field of metrology. How did this happen to you? Yeah. <laughs> Who did first. this to you? <laughs> <laughs> I was first. No. Um, so actually I joined in the Marine Corps like you did. Um, you don't get to pick calibration when you join. Um, I went in for aviation electronics simply because I was a high schooler who had no idea what I wanted to do, but that sounded kind of smart and kind of cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then did well in Pensacola at the A school and got thrown into the metrology school at Biloxi, um, which is where they, they still have it. And they had it during my time. That's how you can kind of right. tell you. That's how you can tell with the, uh, active duty folks, you know, when they were in is where their schoolhouse was. Right. Yeah. You know, Lowry or anyway. yeah, everyone wants to brag about where they're from or not. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stories between the different schoolhouses, but anyways, um, Got stationed at Miramar, same as you. And Mm -hmm. when I got out, I thought I was done with calibration. I was going to go to college, do my own thing. And then I got a plaque from my coworkers. And on the plaque, it said, calibrator for life. And I was like, how dare they? I'm never coming back to calibration. Don't put that voodoo on me. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, pretty much four years after, well, right after college, I went back into it. Um, Maybe it was I, a curse. It was a curse. I blame my coworkers. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up landing at an Air Force Calab in um, Albuquerque at Kirtland Air Force Base and worked there for a few years. Went on vacation to um, 
San Diego. And I was like, man, why did I ever leave San Diego? I got to get oh, back yeah. out here. <laughs> so I was looking at the Pima Forum, trying to find positions. And I ended up getting hired on um, at the Navair Depot Lab at North Island in San Diego. So I worked there for several years. Um, I worked there as a contractor and government employee. And then, you know, started getting the itch to, you know, travel, go somewhere else. And I found out that there's several labs, uh, government labs in Japan. So I applied for one in Yokosuka, Japan, and I was lucky enough to become the tech manager out there at a NAVC lab and um, stayed out there. You can stay there, the contract's for three years as a mm -hmm. government employee, and you can stay up to five, maybe seven years. They try to not leave people out there too long. Sure. Um, so when I came back, uh, again, I wanted to challenge myself. And for Navy Metcal, that that ivory tower or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. for me was Corona. Um, right. That's the land of measurement sciences. That's where all of the engineers are. That's where all of our ICP development comes out of. So um, I applied and I was able to get hired on. And that's where I've been uh, for the last three years. Yeah. Yeah. For for those in the military, for those of you not in the military, for those of us in the military, Corona's like, hey, that's where all of our information comes from. That's where, yep. that's in some ways, like what we view as like the NIST of calibration. I know that's kind of weird to say, but um, what's the equivalent in the Air Force and Army for, for those people? Maybe they would know, like what's the equivalent of Corona there? Do I you know? actually think that we're a little bit unique from the other DODs where, um, those who are in the weeds with developing the procedures and calibration and standards used um, and all of those processes uh, are separated from the primary lab. So our primary lab is located in San Diego at North Island. It's literally right next to the Navier lab I was working at. Um, right, but right. for the Air Force, I think it's it's with the Air Force primary lab in Ohio. Don't quote me on that. And then okay. I think same with Redstone. Like Redstone is all, gotcha. also the same base where uh, they develop all the things. Yeah, we're very insulated in the military Cal systems, you know, because mm -hmm. like coming out of the like when I retired, I didn't know about NCSLI or or MSC where I'm speaking in a week, you know, or anything like that. Like yes. didn't know anything about these things. And so it's interesting to me when you and I chat and you're going to these same things. So mm -hmm. Corona's involved in that, you know, the development part of the military goes to those things, but we just don't see it down at the lab level. You know, that's, yeah. wouldn't you agree? Like, I don't know of anywhere that talks about, and it, it, like when I taught at the schoolhouse, we didn't teach about BIPM or any of the systems, anything like that. You know, that's, that was my only, like, it was very confusing coming out of the military. And it's like, oh, there's a whole different world. That yes, absolutely. To. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I think you can agree. We, we try to, you know, standardize and regulate how things work um, in the government, um, mm -hmm. just for ease of flow and, and making sure that we're giving all of the labs the right information at the right time. And there's no deviations it's, if, if there doesn't need to be. But we do have our Navy Met Bowl, and I would always see MSC and NCSLI in there. They'd announce oh, them. They would yes. announce the dates. But, uh, yeah, you never really heard about um, people at the labs going to them. You know, I, know I, read, I read the Metbulls. I know I for sure I read a lot of them when I was a lab manager, but because mm -hmm. I also knew people that that wrote some of it, so I always wanted to read their stuff, but I don't remember it in there, so that's my bad. But yeah, I believe you. Has it always been in there? I, you know, I've way, just way noticed back? it over the past, I don't know, five, seven years. I'm not sure when they started putting it in. But yeah, definitely uh, I want to get the word out. Um, I, I went to my first NCSLI 
conference this last August, and it was a game changer for me. I didn't know what I didn't mm. know in the classes and seeing the vendors and all of like the the the, the white papers they were reading. It was just an right. amazing experience. Like, yeah, there's so yeah. much value be, to be taken from those. I know this is my first year doing all this stuff too. Oh, really? Yeah, and so in NCSLI, I had to leave. I had to. I did one day, and I had to leave because of health concerns. But and MSC, I'll be there for the whole week. So hopefully next year in CSLI, I'll be there for the, the whole shebang. I, I don't know the location. Do you? Texas. Somewhere in Texas. Gotcha. Yep. All right. So there was a lot to unpack in your background. So I wanted to ask you, because obviously school-wise, I'm always curious. Did you come into the military interested in, in electronics? So you, you chose electronics, but like, was electronics something you were interested in in high school? Like I, I took electronics in high school. Was it? Uh, no, to be honest. And I feel like some, some of us Marines are like this. We're very laissez-faire. Like, yeah. oh, this sounds fun. This sounds interesting. Um, and you know, the recruiter's trying to get you. He's, he tried to sign me up for Motor T. He wanted me to do the band. You know, like they're just shoving everything at you. Right. Uh, but definitely... I wanted to do something that, that I could challenge myself with. I mean, the Marines itself is very challenging. And right. so putting that type of school on top of it, um, I just wanted to see what I could do. Um, and I had hoped, I had hoped to actually pursue a degree in electrical engineering. And mm -hmm. I got some terrible advice while I was in the Marines. They were like, Oh, don't do it. It's such a terrible idea. You'll just be um, installing wires in facilities it's a waste oh, of your time. Yeah. And so I got a degree that I definitely do not use. I got a degree in uh, graphic design. So I make really good PowerPoints these days. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> well, and that's such a shame. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that one as well a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So so we'll hold on to that topic. But uh, so you did go in just say uh, electronics and I was a recruiter, so I kind of understand that side of it. I even knew your recruiter, which is weird. <laughs> we had, and, and like Joseph, our lead instructor in, in sign calibration, you met him in Albuquerque, right? Cause he yep. lives in Albuquerque. So it's, it's weird how, how small the community is like that yep. truly shows you how small the community is. And it's really because of, uh, it, it, and especially if you're Marines, you know, even smaller, um, so then you went to, to Miramar. So I wanted to ask you career wise, because now you, now you see kind of the, the end result, right? You're, you're there at Corona, you see how things yeah. are developed. So going over your career, did you see the same thing I did where as the Cal cell, as, as capabilities were being taken from, were, were kind of being homogenized, right? Mm -hmm. Across all the labs. I, I felt like a lot of the motivation for the field also left for a lot of people because it took away some of the things that we all were passionate about, you know, like a lot of the, and I don't know how the field is now. So let, let that be a disclaimer. I retired in 2014, but I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Like what, what did you see in your progression throughout your career? I mean, you even said yourself, you left not liking Cal. And I see a lot of people that don't like Cal, but then they go civilian side. It's like, hey, this isn't that bad. You know, it's actually a lot more fun in the civilian world. So what do you think? Oh, I think it's every level that I've worked at. I've had an opportunity to learn and grow. Um, definitely working for the, the NAVAIR side was challenging because of all of the unique equipment that we had to support. Um, your level lab, your level lab was a fun lab. Like if I I could do it again. I would work at yours because uh, he got to work on 
more of the the standardized passive devices. You guys mm-hmm. did all the passive devices. You did all of the oxygen gauges. Um, and all of that work did kind of get pulled away from uh, the active duty side more to the depots. And um, right. working at a depot, I got to play with all the stuff that I was envious you got to play with. Right. Um, yeah. So, it, and it, it's been interesting too to see uh, the different solutions or methodologies used in different various labs. For example, the way that we accomplish uh, absolute measurements um, in the Air Force is totally different than the way we do it in the Navy. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see ha- how how everybody resolves the same problems. And and that's what I love to find out. Is it, I didn't know it working at the 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 active duty lab, all right. of the, all of these background thoughts that go into who's working at what level, what makes sense for each lab to have as far as standards and what they're going to accomplish at their level. Sure. Um, so it's been interesting to see that logistics side grow and see how it's going through the enterprise, how they're resolving all these these calibration problems. Do you feel like the the all the services should be taught the same or what do you think like because you mentioned there there is differences there and maybe one does it better than the other should shouldn't they in some ways take the 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 strengths out of each i think there's absolutely room for again i want to say this i'm not speaking on behalf of the navy these are all ginger right right right. (laughs) not department of navyism this is all my opinion only so uh, Hashtag gingerisms. Um, But but I think that there's lessons that can be learned from every single service that's that's seeing these same problems. And I know that they're working on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Us across the Navy, we are definitely working together to see how we can standardize some of our methodologies. And I know for a fact that at the primary level of the labs for Department of Defense that they are also having those same types of conversations. Um, nice. you, you know, we, we want to get those lessons learned. And sometimes it's just, it's, it just is in by means of communication. We, we just need to get better at communicating. Yeah. And the military lags behind, like I'm able to do a lot of things, you know, I'm able to throw something up on Twitch, you know, no problem. I can do training. However, I, I, I so please, you know, and you, you guys just don't have that much latitude, right? Like you kind of have to, establish um i don't know structured methods is that the right way of putting it or yes we have to put process and policy in place um and make sure that it, for us um it's about the longevity of of the solution we come up with uh, how mm-hmm. long it's sustainable for the government um you know and and to use the taxpayers money efficiently in that way we we want long-term solutions and sometimes those take a long time to to ramp up and get into place Look at the good old fifty seven hundred man. That thing stuck around forever. Yeah, and we can we can milk things in the military for a long time. So, yeah. So, um, the the other topic you wanted to talk about today, and the, what I wanted to focus the bulk amount of time on, is one that I love that you brought up is lean and six sigma. So I really want to spend the bulk of time talking about that because. I now have had the opportunity doing this school for two years as we've been selling it. You know, you were actually part, some people might know, know you were a part of our original peer review team, which was very, very awesome of you. Thank you for helping us out. But uh, during all of this time and seeing all these different labs, some of them are just what we call what the wild west, right? They just Mm -hmm. run with, um, 
maybe some lean inspired things that they saw from somewhere, but really not going full bore into it, not teaching all of their, their personnel about lean. Like that's a big <laughs> one. Hey, we have someone on board that is a green belt. Okay. You have one person on board that's a green belt. That's, that's great. So let's yeah. talk about it. Tell us about your, your path in green, uh, in, in green, in lean, your path <laughs> in lean. Um, obviously through the Marine Corps, we called it airspeed, right? Do they, do they mm -hmm. still call it airspeed? Yep. Yep. So on my way out the door, they started, um, in, in the Marine Corps, they started introducing it to us. And right away, you were already hearing pushback, right? People are like, what is this? We're not a factory line. It doesn't matter to us. Um, and then uh, I got introduced. I got to participate in the Kaizen event uh, in the Air Force Lab. And that was really an eye-opener to me. It was interesting to see how you could uh, open up a process. You know, everywhere you go, everyone has a process that you yourself are thinking, oh my gosh, this is such a waste of time. Like, why do we do it this way? Why doesn't anybody uh, try to do it that way? Um, or if you bring it up, they're like, well, that's just how we do it. Like, you don't know we have these processes in place. Like, be quiet. Um, right. So a lot of people see waste and see these burdensome processes and, and they don't have the opportunity to challenge it. Um, so anyways, in, in, um, once I got to North Island, I got the opportunity to be certified as a green belt. And then in Yokosuka, I got the opportunity to be certified as a black belt. And through those events, um, I was able to participate and uh, do some sort of Kaizen events within each of those labs. So I've gotten the opportunity to apply lean processes within the lab environment. Um, but it, there are some constraints or there's these things that happen that make it fall flat. And I think that a, sometimes the events are done with the best intentions, um, but they, they, they aren't followed through to completion. Um, mm. Or you come up with an idea that you think is a great idea, but you know, yesterday's solutions are today's problems, right? right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes these, these events happen and you put changes in place and they weren't the right change to make. And then everybody just is like, oh, we'll see, CPI doesn't work, clean doesn't work, let's throw it away, let's can it, and they're done with it. And I think that, that that's where people should stop and reconsider. Um, I've actually gotten the opportunity to listen to this book called Two Second Lean by, I think it's Paul Akers. Yes, Paul Akers. And um, it takes this whole Kaizen process and it shrinks it down and it can really make it doable and applicable on any level for any person working within the lab. Um, and I'm, I can go all over the place with this. Uh, so, so just scroll me back if you need to. Sure. But okay. um, what if you had everybody in the lab looking around at how they do business and deciding each day or each week, what can I do to cut out two seconds from my process? If everybody's looking for waste and finding ways to just shorten the process by two seconds, uh, you're going to see over time this amazing pro amazing process just fall into place. And and I don't think that it's done enough and it's so easy to do that right. anyone can do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the problem is that people, like you said, see problems all the time, but they think that uh, fixing it maybe is, is cumbersome or that, because mm -hmm. for those that aren't familiar any of these Six Sigma things are, are, are process changes to make you more efficient. For instance, less movement of yourself. You know, yeah. if you have to walk from your, your desk 
to, for every measurement to go over to do a, a caliper, you have to walk 15 feet to do that measurement. That's wasted time. Yep. And so these, these processes basically trim those down. And, and I, can, I can attest for one that might hit home to some people. How about people that are doing everything in paper? or double documenting things, or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, um, extra paperwork or, you know, there's many different things that can be wasted time that if addressed will end up being dollars and cents to these commercial labs. Now here yeah. in the, in the military systems, you know, we're looking at time, you know, saving yep. time yep. in a lot of ways, but time is a, a lot of money for commercial labs, especially those that are sending people out and about. You know, you have travel time that you can't get away from. Yeah. And, and you guys brought it up in one of your previous podcasts with Henry where mm. you were talking about tools. So that's something that people are yes. like, oh, we just have a one-stop shop. We put all our tools here. Everybody knows where the tools are. But if there's a tool that you need to use four out of five times, why not just have it within reach? I, I just thought right. that was a brilliant um another one i saw when i was on the bench is we would uh uh, some of these unique cows would require specific fixtures or adapters or unique Mm -hmm. standards that weren't commonly used and we would we would spend forever trying to find the right adapter or fixture for the job and i mean i know some labs are really good about this um i've seen it done well at some labs and better others where they they have that repository of if it's this item, it's here. Here's a picture of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then on the item itself, it might be labeled like you put it back to this spot. And it's yes. obvious if it's missing from that spot. Um, those are just. But that's very few. Like I've, it's just so few of labs. You know, that's what you're talking about is probably those top 25%, 10% labs that, you know, their procedures have perfect pictures of the adapters, where it's located, what's, ser- you know, like everything's serialized and, and, you know, they, anything that's worn, gets removed immediately. You know, th- those are, those are really high end processes, you know, but if you, they, they're not impossible to do. You no. just get a label maker, get some tape, you know, once you start it and if everybody's on board, that's where you need the, what you need help with is the buy-in of your team and your community but if you do it at a micro level where you're like, hey, tell me what waste you found today, then you're getting them thinking about that mindset. And if they're contributing to the process, then I think that's a win for everyone. And again, right. if it doesn't work, if you made a bad choice, like don't feel bad to change it. Yeah, you can't, you're not going to hit 100% out of the park on, on these events, especially as you start getting really refined. Like you look at, I remember, you know, and, and I wrote down a note to mention like the, the airspeed memes that are out there even, you know, where a stapler has its, its thing, you know, <laughs> it's taped out or whatever, because it can get dwindled down really refined. A little cheesy it, real quick. Yeah, it can. <laughs> but, but the, the point is, is that not many places in the real world that are working today and have many moving parts are working efficiently, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you brought up a good thing. Um, so people think, yeah, it can't be done. I, there's no way to do it. How do, like a lab that has no one involved in any type of Six Sigma or lean principles, how do they get started? Or how would you recommend? Um, so through my experiences and listening to this this latest book, The Two-Second Lean, it. I've always thought the same thing. I, I thought that we've over-processed Lean Six Sigma a little bit mm-hmm. and that people can start today, again, by looking for ways 
and then seeing how they they themselves can change waste in their own in their own environment. And I think you need to make it a safe place where people can share ideas with you. Um, there's been places where I worked, and I think I'm pretty approachable and easy to talk to. And I had this one engineer come up to me and he was like, you know, I, I really hope it's okay that I say this, but I think this is a really bad idea how we do this. I'm like, why would you ever be worried about sharing something like that? Like you should be saying that from the get go. And I know, you know, some labs, you, you, you got those technicians who will tell you what they think before mm-hmm. you even like, yeah, they're very strongly opinionated, opinionated, but there's point, some, yeah. some that are afraid to share. Yeah, some well, or some are their uh, version of giving you that advice or the waste. Their version mm-hmm. of telling you about the waste is the complaint. You have to you have to dig yeah. through. As a manager, you kind of have to dig through the complaint, see what the root is, right? Yeah, and that's a, a lot of what um, the process is, right? Root, root, looking at the root of every mm-hmm. process and 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 what things go through. You know, yeah. You, or is there? Um, so what are what are some of the, th- the applications that you have used over time that might be most applicable to some of the labs listening? Is it mostly in the organization of of assets? Uh, what do you mean for applications? Like, a, or? like if it, like someone someone looking around their lab right now, what are what are some ex- things over your experience that are instant? you know, helpful things. Right. What are some of the things that people might look at and immediately say, Hey, maybe that's a good place to start. Maybe that's a good way of putting it. So, um, kind of like what I told you for the setup and teardown of each calibration, that's a, that's a easy win. If everyone can kind of sit down in their respective areas and kind of decide what they need to get it done and tweak it and just keep retweaking it. Um, I think that they can get to, a quick solution or a quick win. Another one is having the right person doing the right job, you know, for the underutilization of people, you might have somebody running around picking up equipment that maybe they would, their time would be more valuable on the bench. You know what I mean? Yeah. It might make more sense for somebody who, who doesn't have that skill set to maybe be transferring the equipment here or there um, or, or doing the printing or documentation process. Yeah, exactly. So just considering those things where, you might you might think that it might be best for one person to do this process from start to finish, but maybe they're not as good at um, the, the documentation process or, uh, you, you know, what I mean, the working yeah. with the actual equipment. So if there's something within each lab that you can just assess if that's the best person for the job or, or the, the role, whose role that should actually be. Yeah, I was going to say is, or I was going to ask you, can it be kind of adjustable? So like whatever the priority is at the time, you know, mm-hmm. that you kind of adjust who is the best person for, you know, we need to have this person focusing here mm-hmm. because of what our workload is right now. Yeah, it's just, I, I think that there, you need structure for sure. But if mm-hmm. you have like fluid answers to these problems that come in, because especially in the world of metrology, like it's never one straight shot. There's always some weird things that come in or unique situations or equipment that you're going to have to resolve. Yeah. Do you think we should be teaching? Is it something that we can put into the school? Like, should we teach it to brand new technicians coming right in? I mean, in your opinion, obviously, but like, is that something that um, we should look at putting as maybe introduced level ones to white belt training or? I think so. I think that there's there, if they're coming in, to the lab with a mindset of like, how can I improve my process? How can I increase my production? I think all labs are interested in 
increasing high quality production, right? Right, right. We want to do it right the first time. And we want to make sure that we have all the tools in place to do that effectively. So again, that means getting rid of the waste. So, uh, you know, some something that has been discussed in the past is having equipment that requires, um, you know, a calibration interval or a cycle um, that's never used. It's never used mm-hmm. and, and like no business case analysis is done on if we really need to keep this equipment around. Um, so that's, there's so many levels within calibration. And I just think that it's not talked about enough. Uh, you know, everyone focused on Lean Six Sigma for, for production lines, um, right. manufacturing. Um, but I really think it has, it has a good place in the cow lab and should be considered. There's so many ways that we can um, increase our quality and our throughput. And I think that, again, if you get buy-in from your entire team, that's going to help with your retainment because everybody knows that they have a voice and that they're going to be heard and, and they're, they're not going to be afraid to speak up and share their thoughts. Right. Yeah. Cause, cause sometimes the best advice, and we we've learned that in many ways throughout our career, the best advice sometimes is from the, sometimes the newest person, even they came from somewhere and they're like, why are you guys doing this? Absolutely. You know, we, we at our place where we just came from, we were doing this and it's like, Oh, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Good point. You got to be open to those those off the wall ideas. They don't have they don't all have to stick, but as long as they're allowed to throw them out there, I think that's that's a great start. Well, yeah. As I'm, I've been involved in more of the NCSLI com, uh, committees. Sometimes I've I've seen in these larger groups, you just throw a, a bunch of things at the wall, and if everybody feels comfortable doing that, then you you can sift through, and no one feels bad about the sifting because you understand mm-hmm. everybody's just throwing stuff out. But then the, the, sometimes the gold that comes out is just amazing. Yes. Yes. I like that too. And we will do that. So we'll do the Kaizen events and they're, they're really draining because you're, you're doing the storming, you know, everyone's not seeing the eye to eye and they're, mm-hmm. you start out with all these problems. You're like, Oh, we're messed up because of management or we're messed up because of this is just how it is. We can never change these pillars of our institution and they get really down and out. But then kind of like halfway through that week, when everyone is comfortable and they start throwing these ideas out, the really great part is your idea may trigger another idea from somebody else. And it's actually the stacking of those ideas that come up with the best solutions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to our certification, you know, it's out of the school's hands. We can't write it as per ISO requirements. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when you just let it go and then there's a bunch of people doing input on it, you know, especially professionals in our industry, you know, no one, no one calls the metrology industry unopinionated. We all are opinionated. (laughs) We're all a little kooky, you know, and I'm speaking generally, if if you don't want to be labeled as kooky out there, that's fine. I'll label myself as kooky, but, uh, you know, but we have a lot of ideas. And so being able to, to open that up is super important. It, so I, I, I like, I like your answer. I think I will start looking at putting some of those things in. Cause as, as we get our topics rounded out, you know, I, what other things can we add that is benefit, you know, to both the, the technician as well as the employer. And I think lean is one of those things, because like you said, at at the higher levels you're not in the the in what we call it, what in the weeds you know Absolutely. we're not down yeah. in the dirty and seeing all those things and i remember feeling so out of touch when i became a staff in cyc in the military and i always felt so connected as a sergeant as a corporal you yeah. know to the lab but then you know i thought oh i won't lose that 
And then once you start getting pulled, pulled away and you're doing meetings and you're focused on other things, you are kind of losing focus, Mm -hmm. Uh, not, not intentionally, not in a negative way, but you're losing kind of that focus on some of those small things that are small things that can greatly impact your productivity or your production throughput. Right. Exactly. What I, I, I was looking at some of the notes and it cracked me up, uh, you you mentioned some things like eat the fro- eat that frog by yes. Brian Tracy. That's my favorite. Tell us tell us about that one. So, um, I got into I got into all of these these self development books. I feel like it's a phase people go through, but um, eat the frog has always stayed with me. It's about prioritizing what you're doing because you get a lot of work that comes in, especially. Um, I don't know how it is on outside industry. I'm sure it's the same. You, you're firefighting. You get this workload in and you're working on all these things coming at you. And some of them may be more valuable or value added than others. So there's a lot of noise. Yeah. And I think that everyone can agree. There's so much noise with everything we're doing, especially if you're trying to work a 10 man job with just three people. Right. So you, it, I feel like deciding what matters now, or what needs to be done now or what is urgent but not important or what is important, but not urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're able to pause and assess your day in that sort of way, you're going to use your time more effectively. I, I think that if, if everyone again, it takes these concepts into place and starts using them and, and working on focusing on where they need to be at that time, what's their priority that they're the right person to resolve that problem that your your productivity is just going to go through the roof. And and I am not a big fan of overtime. I've always been mm-hmm. kind of against it. I know that's how we resolve problems, right? The easiest way to firefight is, oh, overtime, overtime. And a lot of people like overtime because uh, that's what that's make good money doing overtime. Sure. But I like my free time. So if I can use my time where I'm most effective, where it makes sense for me to be the one doing the job, then I'm going to go full guns ahead for that for that work vice the other work mm-hmm. um the other one i mentioned was uh it, it talks about how to manage your productivity and for me where i'm at now i'm inundated with emails i've become an email warrior yes. and one of the tips from this book i read it said to if if that email takes more than two minutes to answer and you're going through just going through your email get back to it categorize it um, as like, is this a priority now? Is this a priority for a later time? And, and get back to it when you can. And that way you can work through your email and you don't get stuck on stuff. You, you can get mm-hmm. the right headspace for each problem that you're trying to resolve. So right. just those, those tips are, I think they can really make your day more focused and effective. And, and again, I think in our industry, it, it's more important than ever to ha- come in with that mindset. Well, and, and I mean, you hit a lot on, on a lot of good things there that uh, I just wanted to quickly mention because if, when you're looking at these things, some of you are out there are also working as onsite technicians. In some ways, you're like a little mini manager, technician, little package of needing to be efficient. So this mm-hmm. isn't only purely talking to management level, although I, I think I want to put together a, a Ginger's reading list for managers when we do our manager course. <laughs> because seriously, I mean, Henry, you notice he mentions yeah. a lot of books. And yeah. and it's because these ideas are sometimes easier to spell out in words, I guess. Is that a good way of explaining it? Is like 
sometimes it's uh, better to hear it long form on a specific topic instead of, you know, some sort of lesson on it, you know, or a, a YouTube video on, on leadership or something like that, you know, because there's like, when we're talking about noise out there, there's a lot of noise in, in self-help as well, you know, so having yeah. people give some good examples of ones that help in the industry, I think that's good. Yeah, I think just streamlining. If you can streamline any way in your day, then uh, you're going to feel better about what you've done at the end of the day. And um, it's definitely going to benefit your company. For sure. Yeah, and metrology is one of those that I don't think it's talked about enough. I don't think anybody's really researched it or anything, but mm -hmm. there's a mental fatigue. And if you're you're mentioning overtime, you know, and, and when we're really stretching out a day, there's a lot of measurements, there's a lot of numbers, there's a lot of fine things that you're working on. And are you really getting the best measurement at the end of the day? Or as Henry talks about passing on that risk to your customers, right? Are you passing on any risk there? And, you know, I, I know the, the, the attitude might be, no, I'm good. You know, these I'm are, good. these are yeah. low, low uncertainty, you know, these things are fine. But really, it's funny when when uh, I've seen it in practice, even with some of my be best technicians, and I'm reviewing their paperwork, and they're writing down things that don't make sense. Yep. And they're like, oh. And then that's the worst thing is when they close their eyes and you see them searching for what was that measurement. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is fatigue, and it, it's probably not talked about that much because we just want to get the job done. But again, if we're always looking at ways to reduce waste and how can we do – the job the quickest with the highest quality with those you know those thoughts in mind i think we can make really good choices across the exactly board. yeah and a bit everybody benefits off of it mm -hmm. but you have to get started so i i think mm -hmm. that's that's good and i'm glad that uh, that's what you you're that you brought that up because when you said that topic i was like yes perfect but i that's something i want to definitely build in the metrology learning network you know where because it doesn't all have to come directly from us but maybe i can get some providers maybe you know some we can talk offline about that to, to find somebody that can help us or any of you out there that are listening if you're if you know some really good Six Sigma lean instructors or whatever, send them our way. So one one other thing that we wanted to touch on today is uh, talking about your path in metrology. Obviously, the metrology community is heavily, predominantly male, mm -hmm. and I think we can trace that back to our roots are heavily the military. You know, mm -hmm. and 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 those areas are always like that. You know. Here at the school, especially in 2022, we're, we're working on some programs with, with STEM. And some of the STEM problems out there is, hey, how can we get women more interested in the science, in the science degrees? And I think there's a big opportunity for us as we're going through major technician shortages. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how that affect, does that affect you guys at all in, in, at Corona? I'm sure you guys probably pipeline directly out of the military, right? People want to be working at Corona. So it's not like you guys have too many shortages. Is that right? No, I think we're feeling the same, the same struggles that outside industry is definitely with all of, um, we're getting some attrition through our, there's like a lot of retirements going on on the government side. Right. Um, people are just hitting age of retirement. Um, and then I like for the government, again, this is gingerism, but it seemed like there was a generational gap of a decade or so where maybe outside industry was doing so well. So a lot of those folks didn't come into the government. 
Um, so, so you have really young people trying to step up and take charge. And so uh, it's a great opportunity if anyone's looking to come to government or for yeah. you young folk to come serve. But um, definitely there, there is a lack of women um, in our industry. Uh, obviously in the Marine Corps, it's like the smallest percentage ever for any yeah. branch. Um, yeah, it's definitely some, I've, I've never really worked with a group of women. Is there, do you think there's any hurdles? Uh, what, what would be for like for us that are creating programs that we want to and help STEM and, and all those, what are, what are some, some things that, uh, maybe are some hurdles or what are some ways that we can facilitate more females in, in these professions? Would yeah. do you have any opinions? I have lots of opinions. Oh, <laughs> that's all you're give them. Get. I'm like rubbing uh, my hands through. It. Give them. Well, I think for sure that nowadays, I think that the schools. I, I have kids of my own, and they're definitely emphasizing STEM mm -hmm. education for kids. They're really, they're really pushing it out there. And where I live, we have a really great school district. So I think that the generation that's up and coming now, they're going to be more interested in STEM. So I think that the education's out there. I think that the colleges are going to have those, that it's going to be equal men and women. Um, in my opinion, however, mm. uh, there's still some, I don't even know if you want to call it cultural norms or standards. Um, it's just how the cookie tends to crumble. And what I mean by this is, uh, have you seen in outside industry typical required hours for work or are they flex hours? They're like pretty set hours. Pretty standardized, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're locked in, especially if you're working in any sort of production line. Um, they're like, here's your set start and stop time. Now, whenever it comes to a family where the, the spouses are both working and they decide to have children, uh, childcare is not always going to be open to the hours you need them to. Right. And so, unfortunately, in my opinion, I've seen where the the wife will drop out or if if they have too many children they're like oh for income purposes um I, it makes sense for me to stay at home and you see this a lot for me i know i had a lot of challenges uh with child care trying to accommodate my schedule um so that i could drop like the earliest child care that was available i would drop my kid off at and i would still speed to work and i would still be late right if, i would still be late and there's nothing I could do. That was just what I was stuck with. And um, I think that if there was more accommodations for those scenarios, uh, and, and another example is when you have aging parents. Um, unfortunately, I still feel like it will be the wife who will default and say, oh, let me step back from my career and take care of those aging parents. Or any sort of family situation, I, I still feel like um, that if, if she cannot find a way to make her workplace accommodate what she needs, she's going to step back. And I feel like for white collar, they've been way quicker to support those types of accommodations, flex hours, telework. No, you can't do production telework, of course. Right. Um, but any of those unique fluid problems that families may be encountering, um, there's a lot of companies that are able to accommodate and make sure they can retain that workforce. Um, and I don't think that our industry's uh, necessarily caught up to it yet. Yeah. And especially in the, well, it, from my experience, I've seen it a lot in the commercial sector because they run on such fine production lines, like that marginal 
change? You know, if they add one more technician, is he going to be doing enough or is it a waste of hiring someone else? Right. Where that, you know, and they don't have enough people trained in all different areas, right? Mm -hmm. So when someone's missing, it's like a huge detriment. You know, so there's many things there that causes these problems. And you're right, you know, the people with families, I think, I think there's a, um, a lot of this that the industry needs to change because it's always like an early start time. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the question is why? Mm -hmm. And, and the whole day I'm going into customers places and it's, you know, that production, I'm interrupting their production. (laughs) Like it doesn't, it's not like the earlier I show up. Yeah. Maybe that very first customer might get convenienced. The rest of them are still getting inconvenienced. Mm-hmm. You can shift those things to where you still get a, a customer that's helped out at the end of the day after production's done. You know, there is a lot of room for for flex, and I think that benefits. Yeah, as you as you mentioned, a lot of times I as well see that the the female technicians are the ones that are like, hey, I have to go back and and handle the the kids or whatever. Yes, I think yeah, it, it's like you're saying if if. If each industry or each lab can sit down and consider, you know, what what would make sense for this person? Again, utilizing the people in a way that makes sense as well. So you can ship them to after hours um, for what you're saying with, oh, we might only have one person who can do this one measurement area. It sounds like a good opportunity for Mm cross-training, which is something else I'm sure you can agree with. We need more of the cross-training. You have all of these um, linchpins. If you don't have the linchpin, um, you can't do your work effectively. So it goes back to the lean processes. If we can <laughs> do, <laughs> tie it back, <laughs> yes, <laughs> put mechanisms in place to mistake proof to get our processes. If this, then that, um, and then also consider uh, accommodating uh, families because it's it is not just a, a girl problem. Um, it is definitely a men and women problem nowadays. Uh, I feel like the up and coming generations are going to be looking for some sort of flex. Um, and with that flex, you're going to keep them. They're, they're going to want to stay with you forever because they know that you're going to take care of them. And and then you can train them up and you can cross train them and uh, just get the best out of them. Yeah. And I mean, you really can also help out a lot of customers. I can speak from experience. A lot of them want those flex hours, you know, and, and especially if it's not going to cost them extra. Now, if you're charging them because it's after five o'clock or something like that, yeah. even though your cut, your technician isn't on an overtime rate, you know, then that's kind of messed up. But yeah, <laughs> some, some, some of the calibration is monopoly, uh, a monopoly in some areas, you know, unfortunately <laughs> they can do some wild stuff, Yeah, but, but I, I agree with you. The, so, I mean, you mentioned the trade industry, you know, and, and it's dying and I yes. mean, there's, there's shortages everywhere. And I think some of those things that you're talking about, maybe it is that military background to all, you know, calibration and metrology, our current workforce is so tr- strongly tied to military ideals, right? Mm-hmm. Just because that's the nature of where a lot of us came from, where a lot of the managers come from, a lot of lab owners, you know, have a lot, there's a lot of influence from that. And so maybe, maybe we need to take a step back and, and, if you're, if you're experiencing some retention problems, mm-hmm. retention or hiring problems, start looking at some of those things. Are, are those things being mentioned and are those employees looked at as complainers? You know, that's what always cracks me up yes. is, is looking at people as if their, their problems aren't your problem, but unfortunately they are. 
Yeah. And when I, when I went through the issue of my childcare, it was very frustrating to me because I was like, there's no other option. I'm trying to present all the options available and I just cannot start at this time, you know? And then I was, I was, cause I worked with a lot of people who were about 20 years older than me. So they, their kids were all grown. They, nobody else had this problem. So what was my deal? Um, and it was very frustrating to deal with. However, when I went, I went, when I went overseas to Japan, they, they did a very good job accommodating this. And they, they also have the same kind of concerns because we all have the Japanese nationals overseas that we worked with. So this is a Japanese mm-hmm. um, workforce, but they were doing everything they could to accommodate. And for them, I think it was actually more the aging parents that they would need to, um, the workers would need to make sure that they're taking care of their aging parents or, or, or this or that right. situation before they would come into work. And even though they had the set hours, they had, you know, if this, then that, if you can provide this, then we can accommodate that type of thing. So they were able to get it done. And I, so I have full faith that it can be done in a production environment. And it's something that should be considered uh, whenever possible. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, because I've experienced it, you know, and I've seen it where, you know, that production doesn't go away. I understand that the workload doesn't go away, right? When people have, have things, but like you said, sometimes it's just a simple adjustment of when those working hours are, you know, when, when there's really no other option, but Hey, I have to drop someone, you know, my kids off at a specific time. You know, there is a lot of room for improvement there. I definitely, I definitely see that myself. Yes, absolutely. And, and there are people who do take advantage of course, but then you know who they are for the most part, and they're not the ones you're trying to retain anyways. You know, it's just, you should be able to tell with your company and, and, and try to accommodate if and when it needs to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. When in, in taking the, you have to, even though it's not the military, like the military, we had to pay attention to the personal lives of our, mm-hmm. our individuals, you know, it's, you're charged with that, you know, you're, that's part of the requirements. Yes, that's not the same thing in the, the civilian community, but you, if you kind of adopt some of those ideals, it's a good idea because that's what we're talking about here. You know, when we're talking about the, the, the people that you're having a hard time retaining, the people that you're having a hard time bringing on, you know, and, and we have other people that are coming on later in the year to talk about the pay, the pay issue and disparity in the civilian labs, you know, where there's places that are paying $15 an hour. And it's like, what, you know, what is that going to do to our industry as a whole if, if people are doing that and outsourcing or not outsourcing, trying to source in the minimal amount of labor and, you know, trying to see if it sticks rather than why don't we all get together and have a, you know, a set program that we can all, all benefit from, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So you, you are going to MSC, is yes. that correct? Yes. So MSC's in a week. I don't know when this podcast will be released. Hopefully. Well, we'll yeah, I don't, I'm not sure when it will be released. If it's after MSC, then people can't meet you. But if, if people <laughs> are going to MSC, are you going to be there on a specific day? Yes, I'll be there on Wednesday, the 17th. Um, me and my team from Corona will be out there all day. And what do you guys do when you go there? Just visit to to go to tutorials and all that. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go to the tutorials because again, it's all about, especially. So I work on the NAFC calibration standards modernization team. Um, we're modernizing as uh, our legacy equipment becomes very very legacy, 
like very, very, very legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're in all of the measurement areas. Um, so these tutorials, I'm, I'm telling you, so I went to NCSLI and mm-hmm. I got to take the force one and I had no idea uh, how, how much I would be interested in force. Uh, it was just such a great class and, and um, it's just a great, you don't know what you don't know, especially, I don't think you can ever know everything about all the measurement areas. Right. If, if you do, you must be a robot because I just don't know how you can retain all of it. But um, yeah, looking forward to the tutorials. We're going to meet uh, with some vendors as well. Nice. I was going to ask you, speaking of which, uh, of some of the things, and, and of course, you know, if you can't talk about it, it's fine. We understand okay. that there are some secret things, but like, with with uh, with your office, and for those that have been in the military system, so you guys do the Met Bowl, mm-hmm. but you also don't you answer the CPRs and CPARs? Am I getting those wrong? I've been uh, out there of the is a CPAR for a um, that's for Navair. I'm currently with NavC now, but yes. So if there's any calibration problem reports, any questions, concerns, um, maybe a lab is unsure how to accomplish a measurement, if the procedure's unclear. Um, they'll submit a request to Corona and our team will look over it. We'll have, you know, our engineers, uh, maybe those who develop the procedures review it mm-hmm. and, and see if they can provide better guidance or feedback for sure. Now, yeah. now for me, I know the military, I, I know the people that, that seems like a stressful job to me. Like, <laughs> does it ever get contentious? I have thick skin thanks to being in calibration over the years, you know, you know, if you're on the Facebook page, it's funny. I'm it's not. a little snarky. What, the, what the, Facebook page? I think I think the one that's the busiest is that Metcal female TMDE. Oh one. yeah, yeah. I thought you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought you meant. I thought you meant Corona had one. Oh no, no. Um, yeah, that our all of our calibrator peeps. I tell you what. So I like to share posts. You're talking about the page. I like to share posts. Like, hey, we have up and coming jobs at. San Diego, you know, like anytime people share with me, I'll repost it on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, oh, I can afford to live under the bridge with that pay. You oh, know, I know. Like you get the whole peanut gallery. But um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to work at Corona because I saw the problems in the labs and I wanted to help find the solutions. Um, and of course, now working here, I know that there's there's a lot of constraints that we have, um, but I'm always happy to support the labs, even though that'd be like, hey, aren't you that person from Corona? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, is there, are you able to say what the area, different like areas of Corona are? Like what like different areas people focus on? So you're like nav C, so there's a yes. nav error. And yes. so is there like a platform, like for like every helicopter, there's a specific person that works on that test equipment stuff? Like how does, are you able to say how that stuff works? I don't know how much in the weeds I can go with it. And sure. I actually ignore everything outside of my swim lane. <laughs> sure, I don't blame you. <laughs> but there are, there are acquisition folks that work for each platform. And again, like, we want to make sure that anything that goes on in the government that we're properly supporting, mm. you know, with traceability and all of that. But Are you able to say how large that. the team is? Uh, I don't know. Or do you don't it's even know? I don't even know. Because I know yeah. so many people. Like, like we, we have mutual friends and, and uh, people I've been with throughout the service that my time in the service that are at Corona. I'm like, dang, I didn't know Corona was that big. Yeah. And, and we've had some of our colleagues go through, you know, I work with, um, Detmore and, uh, Embry was here before my time. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Embry was my first, uh, was my staff NCYC there at MCC3. Yes. Yeah. We have, we have a lot of people that if you're, if you've ever been in or you are in, you would recognize their name straight away. So it's, it's kind of fun for me. It's very nostalgic anywhere I go. If somebody knows somebody, right? Right. So I worked with Joseph Rendoni. He was actually who trained the, the one person who mentored and trained me in microwave, which is my favorite measurement area. So I definitely, yeah. Yeah. That's a fun one. That's the one I taught in uh, the schoolhouse as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Block one, block one, good old block one. So it is, it is definitely a small Metcal community and, and, and we're, we're here at Corona too. So what do you, what do you think of the, what do you think about the, the changes or, or what is your opinion of the schoolhouse? Like people always talk about Lowry. I brought that up on the, Mm -hmm. um, who did I bring that up on? I think Dan's, uh, Dan Sunberg's podcast. I was saying, you know, cause he was from Lowry. I was like, what, what was it? What was the difference? And I think we came, we kind of brought it down to maybe they just had the right mix of instructors at the time, you know, and I've, I've talked with people over time, you know, that really uh, being a a teacher, being even a manager or an an instructor, uh, not just anybody can do it. It's not a one size fits all type thing, especially with calibration, Mm -hmm. because you can get, you can get lost real quick with some Cal disciplines and how you teach it, you know? So, I mean, what do you think about those transitions, those things that changed? Um, you know, a lot of the people I work with, they went to Lowry. And it's really fun to hear what it was like, mm. hear their experiences. I think that they got a lot more into the weeds, especially with the repair mm-hmm. of assets, um, which it kind of makes sense that they don't touch as much on nowadays because all of it's very proprietary. You can't get in the weeds and, you know, everything's on a microchip. So you're right. not going to you're not going to be really breaking down an MMR, you know, and getting into it. So that kind of makes sense, but um, definitely uh, I think there's room for opportunities um, in metrology training, especially for the higher level uh, measurement areas, such as force or uh, some of the advanced dimensional, you know, using a lab master or something similar. Yeah. that, that, That there's opportunity for advanced training for those measurement parameters that definitely, that definitely could be a place to go. Kind of brings out the artisan in us, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, and Joseph mentions it as a, like an artistic, there's an artistic element to, to metrology and it's in that touch and feel of the measurements, you know, and, and you really have to learn it and, and get skilled in it or, and, and I, I do know people that can't, get a, a specific high-end measurement done. You know, there is experiments out there that people can't replicate because you have to have a certain knowledge base and, and skill to the measurement, you know, so. So yeah, I, I uh, run my, I run, I run a proficiency testing program. Mm. And before I sent it out, uh, we just had an outside micrometer at the gauge block and I wanted to see how perfectly I could get it. And I tell you what, I do not have the skills four dimensional. I was in there and ringing, you know, like just trying to get the gauge on there and I could not get the measurement. And of course the subject matter expert comes in and he just one gets it perfectly. So what you say is true. <laughs> it's a touch yeah. and you got to have that touch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And maybe that's what, 
what some of that touched on, you know, with the repair side, because that's what people really did get passionate about. And like I was saying in yeah, the beginning do. of the podcast is, you know, we kind of lost that through our generation, the one that you and I went through, you know, we, we saw where we went from repairing things at MCCs to MCCs are gone, you know, and yeah. everything, everything, maybe some of that passion went away because people do, do get excited, but you, you know, for like the really difficult benches, you know, I, 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 all the ones that I remember are probably all outdated. No, but, you know, we still have them. Oh, like the whiskey tents <laughs> and there's and anybody who likes to work on legacy equipment and troubleshoot down to the component, please let me know. I may have a job for you. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. there might be. We, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, our demographic that listens is right in that, uh, that group that might be interested. Uh, we are, again, we're losing a lot of people to retirement that have that knowledge. And so, um, it's very challenging to find that type of skill set um, mm-hmm. just off the street. Now, is it all, is, it, is everybody located there in Corona? What are uh, some of the other locations? Well, obviously, since I work down in San Diego, I have an affinity for the Calabs down there. We have a ton of Calabs in San Diego, a contractor and government. Um, mm. We have a, a schoolhouse Calab as well. Um, we have our primary lab down there. Um, so I'm just a Is big fan SDP? of our area. Yep, SDP, P- PSL. Yeah. Yep. Um, oh, funny. And, and another thing I wanted to just put a shout out there um, as far as the, the trade industry, industry goes is mm-hmm. uh, at Corona, we are always offering internships. So if there's any college-age chil- uh, children, I'm so old, um, any <laughs> college-age kids that are interested in interning, we have those opportunities available. As well as at the shipyards, we do offer apprenticeship programs. Um, Puget out of um, Washington, they have a great apprenticeship program. So if if people are interested in trying something new or, or trying out this field, or if you know somebody who you think would be a good fit, um, that's a great way to get them into government, um, into these trade industries and, and ramped up. There's some really good programs out there. I'm so glad you brought that up because obviously a major part of what we're doing is trying to get the younger generation because there's a lot of jobs out there that I know my fellow listeners and, and myself, we look at it like, I'm too old for that. It's too much traveling, too much this, this mm-hmm. shipboard thing, this thing overseas, wherever, you know, for a, a nine month, 18 month contract, whatever. But mm-hmm. that's perfect for some of these guys coming right out of the, out of high school, whatever, you don't want to do college. You don't want to, uh, maybe it's just not for you yet. That was me. I don't know about you. I came out mm-hmm. of high school, like, uh, I, I don't want to go into college. I, <laughs> I'd rather, you know, do something, something that can advance me forward and still, and, and not require that, that, uh, educational hardship for me, I guess. But, uh, I don't know. Do you, you feel the same? Well, again, this is gingerism pontification here, but a lot of people are going into debt, going to college for a degree that they never even used. Mm. Um, there's something to be said about going to a trade school or, you know, joining the services, um, and, and training that way. You don't have to start your life in debt. You know, you can, you can start working on a craft um, I think that the industry isn't doing as well as it should be in America. And I hope that we can address that in the future and fix that in the future. Well, and I'm glad you brought up that you guys had so many opportunities. I didn't know. Yes. Um, there, so that's there, something I can share with, with people as well. Those internships and all that, especially yes, as we're getting through. Yeah. 
uh, I, I can definitely let you know when we have internships going on at Corona. Um, however, all of the apprenticeships and the internships are posted on USA Jobs. Um, internships obviously are for summertime. Um, the apprenticeships, there's internships, yeah. The apprenticeships, um, they do them about once a year. Um, I'm not sure exactly when those come out, but they're all on USA Jobs. You just have to search for metrology calibration and you'll find them. Excellent. Is there, um, is that for, what are some of the requirements behind it? Is it for mostly people coming out of the service or can people coming out of high school with um, something like the school or whatever be able to get in? Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it's catered to the apprenticeships are for young people um, that if you have the service service related background, it's going to be easier for you to get in just hired on at the, the wage grade uh, level. But um, for the apprenticeships, if you don't have any experience, if you're just coming out of high school, that's a really good fit. Very cool. Absolutely. How long has these been going on? Do you, have you guys already had STEM programmed kids in? Um, so it, it's relatively, I, I've been gone from San Diego for like six years now. So they just started it when I left there. So okay. it's an ongoing thing there, but it had been going on at Puget for a very long time. Uh, they also have it at Pearl. So, you know, if you want to go work in Hawaii, uh, they have apprenticeship programs there as well. Wow. Okay. Very yeah. cool. I like it. Well, is there anything else that we, we've, I've, I've had seen you were worried that we weren't going to fill an hour. It was easy to fill an hour. <laughs> is there anything that, uh, I do see that you have ways to connect with you. I do want to do that here at the end, but is there any, um, saved rounds as we say, is there anything that you wanted to, to, that we didn't chat about that you wanted to talk about? Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but if I just really feel like if, if labs can consider ways that they can improve their processes in small bite-sized chunks, it's really not as hard as they've made it out to be. Um, a really great course I did take that I do want to throw out there because I had such, it was such a growing experience for me. It's called Pandaren. And what it was, mm. was it was a boot camp for production. So I went in with a bunch of people. I didn't know who they were. In fact, they gave us fake names. I was um, Captain Hook. My name is Captain Hook for the week. And like, so people would refer to me as Captain Hook. They would, didn't even know my name. So that way you had like high level people in government and low level people working side by side. You didn't know their background at all. And wow. they give you these fake scenarios. You have to try and run this, this industrial line. And they set you up for failure. It's like hilarious how much they set you up for failure. You, you go into this fake industrial line. You're trying to do all the production and you're going to fail. You're just going to suck at it. And so you're like, I hate this class. This is the worst class I've ever taken. Like Captain Hook sucks. Um, <laughs> but then halfway through the week, you get it. Like they are, it's it's really a boot camp for getting these lean processes without like all of the theory and sitting down and learning this terminology and this acronym. They just sit you in there and they make you fail and they make you fail and they make you fail. And then halfway through the week, you get it. Your team gets it. And then you, you get to see, you get to see what high throughput production looks like, what a high level meeting looks like, right? We've been through those meetings that are nightmarish and we're like, why am I here? This is the worst meeting ever. Don't ask any more questions where you learn from this training. Okay. This, this, this is covered. This, this, this is accomplished. Moving on. We're done. Um, and I've seen it. I've seen people who've gone through Pandaren implement it in their workplace. And those are my favorite meetings to go to. Like, you so just is see it. it is, beautifully is it working. 
Pen Darren, P-E-N-D-A-R-A-N. Is that in your note? Is that right? Yes. Yes. Interesting. So it's, a weird, it's a weird name, but if you Google it, it's the only one that comes up. So. Pendaren, P-E-N-D-A-R-A-N. Interesting. Okay. And it, does it cost money? Yes. So uh, the government paid for me and it's not cheap. Um, so that you can either have them come to you and perform the course there for a week, or you can just join in, um, go to their site and join in as your own person. So it depends on um, which is best for you. But mm-hmm. what I would do as a company, and I keep telling this to everybody, is, is go yourself. Go 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 to the program by yourself, see how you like it, and then if it's a good fit, like get everybody in that, bring them to you, and just you know saturate them with this training. It was really good. Yeah, and I think I think, uh, and I'm going to have a, an episode about this in the in the podcast down the road, and this kind of leads into things I'm talking about in some of my talks, like at MSC and NCSLI. But people really need to take a look at their training budgets, you know, and mm-hmm. and and. It's something that is so worth the the investment as long as you're getting a good provider. Yep. So, you know, having good resources and people like yourself and then like us at the school, we try and be a good resource so that people get the training that's worth their time. Yeah. I, I know a lot of when I, I chat with these these clients out there, what, well, what's been your hesitation to get our course? Well, they've been burned numerous times in the past paying thousands of dollars for training that no one retained yeah. or it was unapplicable or it was only one person that was able to do it. They weren't able to convey the information. You know, mm-hmm. people expect that, you know, I send you to this course, you're going to teach everybody when you get back. Yeah. That doesn't work. That yep. doesn't always work. Well, it doesn't always work. I should say depends on who you send, I guess. Yes. And, and, and I've always been a big fan, you know, with all of these, um, not self-help books, but like where you're trying to self-development books. Um, they're a big advocate of spending money on yourself to grow yourself, mm-hmm. you know? So at the end of the life, you'll be the summation of the people you meet and the books you've read, you know? So I think it's really important for every individual themselves to consider how can they grow themselves um, in their workplace, in their own industry. Um, so even, even with that in mind, something like your course, everyone should consider you know, how can they develop themselves better Yeah, for, well, for their I, future? Well, and I think you gave managers food for thought as well. You know, I, I want to impact managers down the road as well. I, I think we're all under-trained out in the industry. Like the Absolutely. things that I'm learning through putting all this stuff together, it's incredible. So the stuff you're talking about with lean and all that, it applies, I think, on all spectrums. I think we just Absolutely. established that over this, yeah. whole, this whole podcast. Like getting efficient but at all levels is important and, and having all everyone at every level aware of these principles in some way. And I'm glad, I'm glad you brought this up because I'll be honest, I took airspeed back in what, probably 2008 or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know? And, and so it's very regimented to me where I, now it's, it's good to hear that, Hey, it's not that hard to get into it because everyone, you know, I think of it as military where you have to be very, rigid on how you get from yellow to green to all those yeah. things. And I know it still is rigid, but I think what you're you're letting everyone know is that the principles are very easy to apply yes. even without going through the formal process. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, t- it takes common sense. We, we've made it a little bit overcomplicated in my opinion. Um, the common sense is you're looking for removing waste. You see waste, you remove waste. You see, you see something you can do better, just do it better. What are you spending the most time on that you shouldn't? 
Exactly. Is That's this the best the use of your time? You know, Is I've there seen a better places, way to do it? I've seen places that will document their paperwork and then input their paperwork. You know, that's like, why not? You know, there's systems now where you can electronically input it, you know. Right. Fix these things. Well, hopefully, hopefully the listeners out there will 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 pass these things on. Um, so, again, that's lean concepts. We're talking about Six Sigma, many different mm-hmm. words for it. That, that book, that first book you mentioned, what was it? The two. Oh, oh Two Second Lean by Paul Akers. Two Second Lean by Paul Akers. And then you mentioned mm-hmm. the Eat the Frog. Eat the Frog by Brian Tracy. That one is, it's really good. It's been around forever. Um, but I'm telling you, any of these other time management books, they base it on Eat That Frog. Gotcha. Getting Things Done by David Allen and then yes, One Minute that, Manager. Getting, getting Things Done by David Allen. That's the one where one of the greatest takeaways was the two-minute rule for your emails. Um, but he's, yeah. got a lot of, he's got a lot of things that, again, you would think this is common sense. But when we're working in our day and working in our day, you get away from common sense a lot of times, unfortunately. Oh, th- th- when you brought up the emails, man, that that's me. You you hit that nail on the head right here. Because and and again, a lot of who we're talking to here on this show is managers, and I, I guarantee they were feeling they were saying amen to that stuff, yeah. you know. Because the the amount of emails I go through in a day is incredible. Yes, it gets it gets crazy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ginger, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and uh, if people want to get a hold of you, if people want to connect, what's the best way? Oh, yes. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. I'm on there frequently, Ginger Montez, with an S. And um, yeah. And, and I like to, I like, well, I post jobs on the female metrology Facebook page. And I'm also looking for very good memes on there. That's the highlight. Highlight right. on there. Right? Yeah, that's that's part of the best. That's the twenty percent, right? Yeah, yeah, I love were, it. Were you were you around for the eighty twenty percent thing? The Pareto, I love Pareto. Yeah, that <laughs> thing was awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully, we'll have you on again. I think you give really good tips for managers. Thank you. It was my pleasure being on here.